Act Five of The Lying Lover or The Lady's Friendship by Richard Steele. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act the Fifth. Scene One Newgate. Young Buckwit discovered on a couch asleep, Latin looking on him how quietly he rests oh that i could by watching him hanging thus over him and feeling all his care protract his sleep oh sleep thou sweetest gift of heaven to man still in thy downy arms embrace my friend nor loose him from his inexistent trance to sense of yesterday and pain of being in thee oppressors soothe their angry brow in thee the oppressed forget tyrannic power in thee the wretch condemned is equal to his judge and the sad lover to his cruel fare nay all the shining glories men pursue when thou art wanted are but empty noise who then would court the pomp of guilty power when the mind sickens at the weary show and dies to temporary death for ease when half our life's cessation of our being he wakes how do i pity that returning life which i could hazard thousand lives to save oh. Oh, how heavily do i awake this morning oh this senseless drinking to suffer a whole week's pain for an hour's jollity methinks my senses are burning round me i have but interrupted hints of the last night ha in a jail oh i remember i remember oh love more love more i remember you must have patience and bear it like a man oh whither shall i run to avoid myself why all these bars these bolted iron gates they are needless to secure me here here's my rack my jail my torture oh i can't bear it i cannot bear the rushing of new thoughts fancy expends my senses to distraction and my soul stretches to that boundless space to which i've sent my wretched wretched friend oh latine latine is all our mirth and humour come to this give me thy bosom close in thy bosom hide me from thy eyes i cannot bear their pity or reproach dear bookwit how heartily i love you i don't know what to say but pray have patience if you can't bear my pain that's but communicated by your pity how shall i my proper inborn woe my wounded mind in all assaults of fortune that should be serene not in the power of accident or chance words words all that is but mere talk perhaps indeed to undeserved affliction reason and argument may give relief or in the known vicissitudes of life we may feel comfort by our self-persuasion but oh there is no taking away guilt this divine particle will ache for ever there is no help but whence i dare not ask when this material organ is indisposed juleps can cool and anodynes give rest 
but nothing mixed with this celestial drop but dew from that high heaven of which tis part <laughs> may that high heaven compose your mind and reconcile you to yourself how can i hope it no i must descend from man grovel on earth nor dare look up again oh love more love more where is he now oh thinking thinking why didst thou not come sooner oh not now my thoughts do so confuse me now as my folly and pleasures did before this fatal accident that i cannot recollect whence lovemore was provoked to challenge me you know dear bookwit i feared some ill from a careless way of talking but alas i dreamt not of so great a ay there it was he was naturally a little jealous heavens do i say he was i talked to him of ladies treats and he might possibly believe twas where he had engaged i remember his serious behaviour on that subject oh, this unhappy tongue of mine thou lawless voluble destroying foe that still runst on nor waitst command of reason oh i could tear thee from me did you not expostulate before the action he would have don't but i flushed with the thoughts of duelling pressed on thus for the empty praise of fools i'm solidly unhappy you take it too deeply your honour was concerned honour the horrid application of that sacred word to a revenge against friendship law and reason is a damned last shift of the damned envious foe of human race the routed fiend projected this but since the expansive glorious law from heaven came down forgive enter turnkey gentlemen i come to tell you that you have the favour to be carried in chairs to your indictment to which you must go immediately we are ready sir how shall i bear the eyeshot of the crowd in court exeunt scene two frederick's lodgings enter lovemore in a sergeant's gown and frederick oh mankind is infinitely beholden to this noble styptic that could produce such wonderful effects so suddenly but though my wound was very slight i'm weak by the effusion of so much blood yet after all you have not lost enough to cool your passion your heart still beats penelope penelope but in this disguise you have opportunity for observation you'll see whether you ought still to value her or not i'm glad you thought of being brought hither as soon as you came to yourself i expect old bookwit every moment here enter old bookwit there he is oh mr frederick too late too late was our care they met last night and then the fatal act was done you'll excuse sir a father's sorrow i can't speak much but you may guess what i hope from you you may depend on ingenuous usage in this prosecution I'm going instantly to Penelope's with this learned gentleman to know what she can say to this matter. I desired you, in the note I sent you, to purchase the favor of your son's being brought thither. 
where he and you may be witness of what shall pass. I seek not his blood, nor would neglect a justice to my deceased friend. I believe my son and the rest are going thither ere this, and I desire this worthy sergeant's favor and advice, since we both mean the same thing, only to act with honor if his life may be saved. I'll do what's just to the deceased and the survivor. I'll leave you, but we'll take care to come in just afore the criminals arrive. Exit. The poor old gentleman. Prithee, let's go. I long to see my lovely torment. Penelope. I'll but leave word within. Exeunt. Scene three. Penelope's lodgings. Enter Penelope and Victoria. It seems Simon lay out all night, and was carried away by the watch with some gentleman in a quarrel. I fancy the men who are always for showing their valour are like the women who are always talking of their chastity, because they are conscious of their defect in it. Right, for we are not apt to raise arguments, but about what we think is disputable. Ay, ay, they whose honour is a sore part are more fearful of being touched than they in whom tis only a tender one. But tell me honestly, Penelope, should poor Lovermore be in this rencounter, and that for your sake? Would it have no effect upon you in his favour? I don't know how to answer you, but I find something in that reflection which acquaints me. Tis very hard for one to know one's own heart. Sighs. However, let your heart answer me one question more, as well as it can. Does it love me as well as ever it did? Does not, madam, that question proceed from a change in your own? It does, Penelope. I own it does. I had a long conflict with myself on my pillow last night. What were your thoughts there? That I owed it to our friendship to acknowledge to you that all the pleasure I once had in you is vanished. Ah, Penelope, I'm sorry for every good quality you have. Since you are so frank, I must confess to you something very like this. But however I envied that sprightly, ingenuous native beauty of yours, I see it now so much the figure of your mind that I can conquer, I think I can, any inclination in myself that opposes the happiness of so sincere a friend. Explain yourself, my dear. I'll discountenance this bookwit's ambiguous addresses, and if Lovemore can forgive my late ill-usage, I need say no more. Enter Servant Mr. Frederick Below desires to see you on some extraordinary business. I have not time, my dearest friend, to applaud or thank you, but must run in. He comes from Lovermore, remember. Exit. Let him come up. Now can't I, for my life, forbear a little tyranny. Enter Frederick and Lovemore. Good morrow, sir. I believe I know your business, your officious for your friend. But I am deaf. I know you are, and have been. But I come only to do him a last office. He'll trouble you no more, but I must conjure you to read this and inform this learned gentleman what you know of this misfortune. Penelope, reading. Your cruelty provoked me to desire the favour of dying by Mr. Bickwit's hand, since he had taken from me more than life in robbing me of you. Farewell for ever. I direct Frederick not to give you this till I am no more. 
writ in his blood till I am no more. Love more no more. Thou shalt not be no more. Thou shalt live here forever. Here, thou dearest paper, mingle with my life's stream. Either the paper bleeds new, or my eyes weep blood. So let him do forever. O oh, my love more. Did the vanity of a prating boy banish thy solid services and manly love? This is no reparation to him for his lost life, nor me for my lost friend. Yet when you please to receive him, I am obliged to deliver you some papers, wherein he has given you all the fortune he could bestow, nor would revoke it, even thus injured as he was. Curse on all wealth and fortune. He, he is gone who only deserved all, and whose worth I know too late. Love more to Frederick. Oh, ecstasy! Why was I angry at her rejoicing at my sorrow when hers to me is such perfect bliss? Tis barbarous not to discover myself. Frederick to Lovemore. Do, and be used barbarously. But, madam, you must be composed. Your life, for aught I know, is at stake, for there is no such thing as accessories in murder, and it can be proved you knew of Lovemore's threatening to fight Bookwit. You must either take your trial yourself, or be Mr. Bookwit's witness. I his witness. No, I'll swear anything to hang him. Ah, madam, you must consider yourself, however. Pray, sir, read her indictment to her. Lovemore, reading. That, on the said third day of April, the said Penelope, of the parish of St. Martin's in the Fields, spinster without fear before her eyes, but by the instigation of the devil, and through an evil pride of heart, oh, tis too true, did contrive, abet, and consent to the death of John Lovermore, Esquire, of the age of twenty-eight years, or thereabouts. I can't hear the mention of him without tears. He was the sincerest friend. I think I have seen him, he was, I've heard, a man of honesty, but of something a disagreeable make. Oh, sir, you never saw him, if you think so. His person was as free as his mind was honest, nor had he imperfection. But his love of me weeps. Love more to Frederick. I tremble I shall disoblige her too much. Frederick to love more. You shan't discover yourself. You shall go through her soul now tis moved on your side. Win her now, or see my face no more. I'll not have my wine spoiled every night with your recitals of love and asking advice, though you never mean to take it like a true lover. When did that best of men expire, good Mr. Frederick? This morning. But should I speak the manner? With the faint, dying voice he called me to him. I went in tenderness to take my long farewell. He, in a last effort of nature, pressed me to his breast, and with the softest accent sighed in death, Penelope. Oh, the too generous man, ungrateful I! Curses on him first flattered with his tongue, on her that first dissembled in her silence. What miseries have they entailed on life to bring in fraud and diffidence of love? Simplicity's the dress of honest passion. Then why are arts, why to a man enamoured, 
that at her feet effuses all his soul, must women cold appear, false to herself and him. Frederick to love more. Do you see there? You'd have spoke before she considered that. Oh, could I see him now, to press his livid lips, and call him back to life with my complaints. His eyes would glare upon my guilt with horror that used to gloat and melt in love before me. Let mine for ever then be shut to joy, to all that's bright and valuable in man. I'll to his sacred ashes be a wife, and to his memory devote my life. Exit. This is worth dying for indeed. I'll follow her. No, you shan't. Let her go in, throw herself upon her bed and hug, and call her pillow love more. This is what you've done a thousand times for her. That's true, too. Let her contemplate on the mischief of her vanity. She shall lament to her glasses of our side, till its pretty eyes be all blubbered. Its heart must heave and pant with perfect anguish before twill feel the sorrow of another's. Don't you know pride, scorn, affectation? And a whole train of ills must be sobbed away before a great beauty's mortified to purpose? Enter servant. Old Mr. Bookwit inquires for you here, Mr. Frederick. Pray, let him come up. Enter old Bookwit. What's the matter? You seem more discomposed than you were at Mr. Frederick's. Something still new. I saw the boy a-coming in the chair. He looks so languid and distressed, poor lad. He has all his mother's softness, by nature of the sweetest disposition. Oh, gentlemen, you know not what it is to be a father, to see my only child in that condition. My grief quickened at the sight of him. I thought I could have patience till I saw him. Enter Servant there are two or three in chairs desire admittance by appointment tis right sir enter young bookwit latine and jailer oh my dear child oh tom are all thy aged father's hopes then come to this that he can't see thee his only son but guarded by a jailer Thy mother's happy that lived not to see this day. Is all the nurture that she gave thy infancy, the erudition she bequeathed thy youth, thus answered? Oh, my son, my son, rise and support thy father. I sink with tenderness, my child. Come to my arms while thou art mine. O oh, best of fathers, let me not see your tears. Don't double my afflictions by your woe. There's consolation when a friend laments us, but when a parent grieves, the anguish is too native, too much our own to be called pity. Oh, sir, consider, I was born to die. Tis but expanding thought, and life is nothing. Ages and generations pass away, and with resistless force, like waves o'er waves, roll down the irrevocable stream of time into the insatiate ocean forever. Thus we are gone. But the erroneous sense of man, tis the lamented that's at rest, but the survivor mourns. 
all my sorrows vanish with that thought but heaven grant my aged father patience oh child turning away do not torment yourself you shall promise not to grieve what if they do upbraid you with my death consider sir in death that our relation ceases nor shall i want your care or know your grief it matters not whether by law or nature tis i die what won't my father hear me plead to him don't turn from me yet don't look at me with your soul so full oh my child my child i could hear thee ever twas that i love thee that i turn away to hear my son persuade me to resign him i can't i can't the grief is insupportable you make a coward of me with your anguish i grow an infant scarce can weep with silence but let me keep some decency in my distress if we might be apart looking at the company but that's too much to hope no no we'll leave you to yourselves exeunt i have too much upon me child to speak and indeed have nothing to say but to feed my eyes upon thee ere we part for ever if tears would let me when you have slept in your cradle i have waked for you and was it to this end oh child you've broke your father's heart swoons good heaven forbid it guard him and protect him he faints he's cold he's gone running to him he's gone and with his last breath called me parricide you've broke your father's heart oh killing sound i'm all contagion to pity me is death my griefs to all are mortal but myself you've broke your father's heart if i did so why thus serene in death thou smiling clay why that calm aspect to thy murderer oh big unutterable grief merciful heaven i don't deserve this ease of tears to melt with penitence oh sweet sweet remorse now all my powers give way to my just sorrow for the best of fathers thou venerable fountain of my life why don't i also die derived from thee sure you are not gone is the way out of life thus easy which you so much feared in me takes him by the hand why stay i after but i deserve to stay to feel the quick remembrance of my follies yet if my sighs my tears my anguish can atone re-enter frederick lovemore latine jailer victoria and penelope what is the matter what behold this sight i am the guilty wretch keep aside a little sir he only swoons i hope i think he breathes yes he returns you must compose yourself oh, poor bookwit how utterly he seems distressed i will be calm resigned to heaven and hear you patiently you sir his favourite servant 
Pray speak honestly of truth of what you know of this learned gentleman, who is counsel in this case. Sir, he is not. Pray, sir, give the servant leave first. No, then. I am not what I seem, but a gentleman of a plentiful fortune. I am thus dressed to carry on such gay pursuits as should offer in this town. Not to detain you, Mr. Bookwit sent me late last night with a letter to one of these ladies. Coming from thence, as I crossed, I saw Lovemore in the garden. He stopped me, and, after some questions concerning my message to this house, to which he did not like my answers, he struck me. We fought. I left him dead upon the spot, of which this gentleman is guiltless. How? Was it you, then, that killed Mr. Lovemore? T'was this unhappy hand gave him his death, but so provoked. Who could believe that any pleasing passion could touch a breast loaded with guilt like mine? But all my mind is seized with admiration of thy stupendous friendship. What, then? Couldst thou hold thy innocent hand up at a bar with felons to save thy friend? How shall I chide or praise thy brave imposture? Ah, sir, believe him not. He cannot bear the loss of me whom he overvalues. Therefore with highest gallantry he offers a benefit which twere the meanest baseness to receive. But death's more welcome than a life so purchased. We all know you can talk and gild things as you please, but the lady's servant knows I was taken near the body when you w Sir, do but hear me. Pushing away Latine. I'll easily convince you. <clears throat> Pushing away Buckwit. Pray mind him not. His brain is touched. I am the man. He was not near the place. I can hold out no longer. Lovermore still lives to adore your noble friendship and begs a share in it. Be not amazed. But let me grasp you both, who in an age degenerate as this have such transcendent virtue. Oh, Lovemore, Lovemore, how shall I speak my joy at thy recovery? I fail beneath the too ecstatic pleasure. What help has human nature from its sorrows when our relief itself is such a burthen? Oh, the best burthen upon earth! I beg your pardon, sir. I never was so taken with a man in my life at first sight. Kisses Lovemore. To Latine. Let me be known to you, too. Sir, you do me honor. But you, ladies, are the first cause of the many errors we have been in, and you only can extricate us with satisfaction. Such is the force of beauty. The wounds the sword gave this gentleman were slight, but you've transfixed a vital and a noble part, his heart. Had I known his pretenses, I had not interposed for my son. Come, madam, no more of the cruel. Go on. Love more. On oh, my conscience, the man's afraid tis impudence to be alive again. You see him now, madam. Now you may press his livid lips and call him back to life with your complaints. I stand, methinks, on the brink of fate, in an ambiguous interval of life, and doubt to accept of being till you smile. 
in every human incident besides, I am superior and can choose or leave, but in the minutest things that touch my love, my bosom seized with anguish or with transport. You've shown your passion to me with such honour that if I am confused, I know I should not be, to say I approve it, for I know no rule should make me insensible of generous usage. My person and my mind are yours for ever. Then doubts and fears and anxious cares be gone, all ye black thoughts that did corrode my breast. Here enter faith and confidence and love, love that can't live with jealousy but dwells with sacred marriage, truth and mutual honour. I knew not where you would bestow your vows, but never doubted of your faith when given. Kissing her hand. You see, my son, how constancy is rewarded. You have from nature every quality to make you well become what fortune gave you. But neither wit nor beauty, wealth nor courage, implicitly deserve the world's esteem. They're only in their application good. How could you fight a man you knew not why? You don't think that tis great merely to dare? Tis that a man is just he should be bold. Indeed, you've erred. You give my friend, methinks, too much compunction for a little levity in his actions, when he's too severe in his own reflections on em. Well, Victoria, you see I take your advice at last, in choice of love more. I congratulate your missing of the other. I heartily believe you, my dear friend. But we best guide our actions by hope of reward. Could but my son have such glorious prospect as this fair one? To Victoria. I doubt not, but his future carriage would deserve her. I believe I may safely promise to approve of all the truth he tells me. You've promised, then, to like all I shall say. These unexpected good events deserve our celebration with some mirth and fiddles. I foresaw this happy turn, therefore have prepared them. Call in the dancers. The rolling years the joys restore, which happy, happy Britain knew, when in a female age before, beauty the sword of justice drew nymphs and fauns and rural powers of crystal floods and shady bowers no more shall here preside the flowing wave and living green owe only to their present queen their safety and their pride united air and pleasures bring of tender note and tuneful string all your arts devoted are to move the innocent and fair, while they receive the pleasing wound, echo repeats the dying sound. Since such deserved misfortunes they must share, who with gay falsehoods entertain the fair, let all with this just maxim guide their youth. There is no gallantry in love but truth. Exeunt. Epilogue. Our two adventurous author soared to-night above the little praise, mirth to excite, and chose with pity to chastise the light. 
for laughter's a distorted passion born of sudden self-esteem and sudden scorn which when tis over the men in pleasure wise both him that moved it and themselves despise while generous pity of a painted woe makes us ourselves both more approve and know what is that touch within which nature gave from man to man ere fortune made a slave sure it descends from that dread power alone who levels thunder from his awful throne and shakes both worlds yet hears the wretched groan tis what the ancient sage could ne'er define wondered and called part human part divine tis that pure joy which guardian angels know when timely they assist their care below when they the good protect the ill oppose tis what our sovereign feels when she bestows which gives her glorious cause such high success that only on the stage you see distress end of act five end of the lying lover or the lady's friendship by richard steele